Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, that's our cry that you would come. That we would have a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, your consuming fire, that you would meet us in the ways that only you can come, God, and meet us, that in your power and your transforming love that you would encounter our lives, that you would heal us, that you would um, comfort us. Even as we come to your word, you know, we pray with our hands out like this, uh, church, let's do this. Even as we come to your word, our hands are, are out, our palms are turned up. We're believing, God, that you would come and that you would pour out from heaven your spirit, bringing your word to us that we would know and hear the voice of God. So by that Holy Spirit who inspired this word, now illuminate it, God, in our lives today, that we might hear from you, that we wouldn't miss the word that you have for us. So come, God, and speak, for your servants are listening. If that's your prayer, say amen, church. Amen. Did I hear you? Did you say amen? It's so weird to be in a room where there's like, you know, five tech people and they're all quiet. So I need some of the, just wherever you are on your couch, everybody. Hey, happy Father's Day. I'm Jeff, uh, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you today. If you're a, uh, if you're a father and you're watching this thing right now, I want you to raise your hand, a little hand raise. Do we have the, the on the back, Ben, you got, there you go. There's some fathers. Good. Um, Congratulations for being a dad. Congratulations for being a dad who is in church today uh, with your kids. That is well done. Um, that's, you are doing the thing of greatest value. So well done, dad. Um, good job. We are, man, we're in, in uh, the summer in the scriptures again. We've done it every year for like seven years, something like that. And it is one of our favorite things because we get to dig into God's word. Um, I hope you uh, grabbed your Bible or, or downloaded the PDF, which has some of the scripture texts in it. So you have it in front of you and you can, um, you know, mark it up or write questions in the margin. I hope, you're, um, I hope you've got your paper Bible still. I hardly ever use mine anymore. I know I was like one of the last holdouts, but, um, but, but I hope you still have it because it's just so tangible to be able to, you know, when you're hearing it or uh, when you're reading it on the little teeny tiny screen and then the, then the last paragraph goes away. I don't know. There's something about, I'm super, okay, I'm old. That's what's happening right now. I'm old. Is that what, is that what we're saying? So I hope you have your Bible. Um, we're going to dig into First Peter. That's what we do in Summer in the Scriptures. So sometimes we do a whole reading plan where we're like um, going from start to finish in the Bible or, or the whole New Testament or a bunch of the Psalms or something like that for the whole summer. But the idea is that we're going to spend a summer being intentional about jumping into God's word. And we're gonna do the book of First Peter this time. And it's five chapters. Um, we're, some of the chunks that we're gonna be talking about on Sunday is, are really long and we can't talk about everything in it. In fact, Pastor, I mean, Shelly is gonna teach next week and she's got this big old chunk and like her thing to me was like, thanks for nothing. Like that's so hard to preach on all that. So we won't. What we'll do, Shelly, what we'll do is we will, um, we'll expect that you will be studying it during the week, reading, reflecting, meditating on it, uh, memorizing one of the verses from that reading. You can find the reading plan on the PDF that we have there. Um, uh, and that's always on our Sunday resource page or in the email that you get that invites you to this Zoom call. So we're hoping that you're digging in and that you become, ready for this, an expert in First Peter. How cool would that be? That you'll be like, I totally know First Peter. I get it, I know it. And, uh, and we won't be able to talk about everything, but you will be studying yourself. Do you have a study tool? Do you have some cool study tools? Guess what I have. I got this really cool Bible. There's, there's color on every page. It's so good. I have like five more of these. Hey, I know, 
Benzie's got like a high school student coming for like a gift card of some kind. Listen, if you want to come down here and bust in the back of this church with your mask, I will give you this Bible, okay? By the end, just, just FaceTime all the, or I mean Zoom all the way down and you can have it. But uh, we're hoping you're going to study God's word is the point of that. Okay, here we go. So we're going to dig into, uh, into uh, the text. So if you have your Bible, your PDF open, your electronic version, whatever you've got, let's open to 1 Peter and... Um, we're just going to look at verse one and two this week because we're going to give you an introduction to the book uh, and we're going to camp on these super cool words that are at the end. Super cool. Listen to that. Uh, super impactful words uh, at the end of chapter two. I mean, verse two, grace and peace be yours in abundance. But we're going to look at the whole text. We're going to look at, at just this first two verses of the text. So reading together and, and um, you know, you, you've got it in front of you, hopefully there, and we're using the NIV Uh, translation, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Say those last words with me if you've got your text open. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is an intro to this book. You know, almost all of the epistles from that time when these were written, and we'll talk about that in a sec, they were, um, they all started out with uh, something about the author, like who wrote it, and then something about the recipients, who it's to, and then sort of a blessing. And that's exactly what we have here in in verses one and two. And it's, of course, written by, anybody guesses? Any guesses? Okay. And... uh, this is Peter, who's the, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's an apostle. He says there, I'm an apostle of Christ. He was a, a leader in the church. He was also called Simon, right? He was called Simon. And then, it, and then Jesus gave him the name. Uh, Simon was a Hebrew name. And Jesus gave him an Aramaic nickname, Cephas, which means, anybody know? Rock. Gave him this nickname, Cephas. And then the Greek version of rock is Petrus, which is the English word Peter. And that's where we get it. So his name was Simon and Jesus gave him the name Peter, again, which we'll talk about in a minute, but that's who is the writer of this book. So if you wanted to know as you're studying the book all summer more about the author, you can just go back and look at all the passages that talk about Peter when he was following Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then of course in the book of Acts. Peter was a spokesperson. He was a leader. He was always popping up with sometimes inane things, sometimes inappropriate things, sometimes good questions, but he was always sort of out front. Um, He was always named first when the disciples are listed. So he was really kind of held a special place. He was one of the inner three of James and and John and and Peter were sort of Jesus's inner three. He was probably, he lived in uh, Capernaum. He was from um, Bethsaida. And those are two little town fishing villages right on the Sea of Galilee. Those of you that signed up for Israel, Lord willing, we're going in 2021, that we're going to go visit and we'll uh, see these villages. And, um, and he fished for a living. He was probably really influenced by John the Baptist because his brother Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. His brother Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And if you do the research on Peter's life, you'll see that it first emerges because Andrew was with John the Baptist and he got pointed out to Jesus and Andrew learned about Jesus and then went and got Peter and said, I think I found the Messiah. And so um, John the Baptist's teaching was part of Peter's um, sort of spiritual development. And Jesus apparently 
appeared to Peter after the resurrection in sort of a special way. You can read about that. I don't know if you knew that. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, So he was special to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, gave him a special commission as well to be a leader in the church as it was born and went forward. He died as a part of the uh, persecution that was happening in Rome under Nero. I mean, this is like embedded in your world history classes and in History 101 in college. Um, that uh, Rome burned and Nero uh, infamously blamed it on the Christians. And uh, so persecution broke out. Paul probably, Apostle Paul probably died during that time as well. Um, Tradition has it that Paul was beheaded during that time for being a Christian and Peter was crucified. The Christian tradition is that he actually was crucified upside down because he did not want to um, dishonor the memory of the Lord by being murdered in the same way that Jesus was because he gloried in the cross. Isn't that beautiful? But he was killed during um, somewhere around, uh, uh, Rome was destroyed in 64, um, the year 64. And, um, and so this letter, he had of course written it before that. And so this letter was written because of, of his, the book's um, awareness, it looks like of a number of other letters that we know were written around 60, 61, 62. This book was probably written somewhere around 62 to 64 um, uh, in the common era. So that's who it's from. That's Peter. And I hope you do some research on Peter. And who's it to? It goes on to say, and this is a rough, sort of a rough text to see. In fact, maybe we throw that text back up there real quick, just to look at this phraseology, if you would, Mark. Um, That, this is written to God's elect, God's people, we'll talk about that in a sec, scattered throughout the provinces, they're exiles, scattered throughout the, the, these northern provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then this stuff about them, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. Now let's get there in a sec. So God's elect is God's dear people. These are the people you're going to see all the way through this book that God's going, you're mine. You are my precious and chosen people. And they're exiles, not because they're exiles from anywhere else. These were, they're exiles in the sense that they're living on earth in a rough season. And that isn't their final state of being. This isn't their home, so to speak. When the kingdom comes fully, that will be their home. So they're sort of exiled right now from the full coming of God's kingdom. But God's like, but I see you. Are you starting to hear a theme emerging in, in all of this? And they're from, it's written to the, the, the Christians that are up there in those five provinces. I got a map for you. You can see what these five provinces are. It's hard to see with all the other towns, but look at the very top right. You see in big letters, Bithynia and Pontus, right below it, Galatia. And then to the right of that, Cappadocia, to the left of that, Asia. That's the, the, the towns that he mentions. That's called Asia Minor, Northern Asia Minor, and that's Turkey. Can you see that that's Turkey in today's world? You see Athens, and then further over, you see Italy, the mother country. Thank you, God. Okay. Um, so that's where, that's what he's written to those guys. So, so they, were, they, were, they were not um, necessarily all Jewish believers who became Christians. They were what, you know, the technical term is they were pagans at the time. They, they, um, they had paganistic beliefs and they came to faith in Jesus. And they're being um, written to um, after they became Christians. So I know this is a lot of background, but I want you to see sort of what the context of all this is. And so what is his message to him? He goes, this is me, Peter, to you, God's chosen people in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those places. And then he goes, and, and, and he goes, this is you saints who have been, and he has all those other words. Let me just give you a sort of a modern day, like summary translation. He goes, listen, this letter is to you 
who have been chosen to obey Jesus and be covered by his grace. This has always been the father's plan. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to make it work. You get to be Jesus people. It's been God's plan from the beginning. And here's the Holy Spirit. So you've got father, son, and Holy Spirit in there. And his, the whole summary is he's saying, I want you to know that you're in my hand. You have been forgiven and you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to preserve you. He wants them to know his purposes are certain and good and that he'll be gracious. Why? Why is that such a summary at the beginning? And this is all just sort of context. I want you to see the, the context and purpose of the letter before we even get into talking about one little phrase as I wrap up. He wants them to know that you have got everything it takes to be God's people in a time of suffering and struggle and persecution. Because that's what's happening for them. They have been trying to live for God in the midst of a society that does not know him and does not know Jesus and is not warm to the idea. They are undergoing persecution. And he wants to say, even though you're struggling, I'm with you and I will give you every thing that you need and my purposes are sure. Do you hear that church? Now they're suffering and we know what happens in suffering. We've talked about it quite a bit. When we suffer, either it can have a, 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 we can emerge from that transformed, that God in his grace can meet us in that and we can be strengthened and refined and tested or we can bail out because the lie of scarcity comes in and goes, God's not either not there or he's not good or he's not paying attention to me and I'm not getting what I need to make it. And that friends is a lie from the pit of hell that comes to every one of us when we go through struggle, small struggle, medium struggle, huge struggle. We'll be tempted to believe I'm out. God's not in this. And he wants to go, oh no, 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 no. It's been the father's plan from the beginning to sprinkle you with Jesus' blood, forgive you and gonna give you the Holy Spirit to make that all work. He is saying, my purposes are sure. So this is a letter to those people that are struggling. And every one of us is struggling in some way, shape, or form, some greater than others. Our struggle may not be persecution, which theirs was. They were being treated cruelly for being Christians. Maybe that is yours. Maybe it's not. But we all know what it's like to experience struggle in a world that isn't set up to bless our walk with God, to make everything go smooth, to know that God's presence is there and bountiful every second of every day. Like we know what it's like to not be experiencing that. And so this book is for us. So he starts by going, this is for me to you who have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in your life. And then he caps it off with these words. And I want to use these words to sort of give you a couple of insights before we break today. He says, and do you see it in the text? He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Literally, it means this. May grace and peace, this is his blessing. May grace and peace multiply for you in abundance. May grace and peace keep on multiplying for you in abundance. Do you hear this generosity and, 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 and sort of overflowingness to his word? He's like, listen, I'm going to write to you. You're struggling. Here's my blessing as we start off. Everything I want to say to you, may grace and peace keep multiplying, increasing for you in abundance. There's a sense of it continuing forward. More, as we need more, more will come. It'll multiply, it'll keep going, it'll keep increasing. If we have need for more, then more will come. Grace 
and peace multiplying. Oh, this is such a great word to people that are struggling because you hear that there's such generosity in it. There's such provision in it. It speaks directly to that lie of scarcity, right? That we don't have what we need. There are fears and struggles that God's maybe not gonna show up. It's the other way around. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm gonna come and I'm gonna keep coming and I'm gonna keep coming in abundance. Come on now, I'm, <laughs> you're not in the room with me right now, but I'm sensing the weight, the power of that encouragement for us because we feel like oh, waves of struggle overwhelm us until we can't cope anymore. But the truth is, is that God keeps coming with waves of provision and generosity to keep matching all the struggles that we may face. Our wounds tell us that we're on our own, but this book keeps going, oh no, you're not. This is God's promises are sure and he will continue to come with all that you need. So even in persecution and even in suffering, you're gonna have everything that you need. Do you have eyes to see church, his abundance? Do you have eyes to see how generous God is that he keeps showing up for you? Sometimes we just kind of close our eyes to that and we get dull in our ache and we, we don't look around and go, look what God's showing up for me. God comes, and not only does he come, he comes in abundance. He comes in generosity. My small group of guys was talking the other day about the passage in Jesus' first miracle. Think about this. This is Jesus' first miracle. Do you know what it was? It was when Jesus changed water into wine. And it says at the end of that miracle, by the way, I'll tell you about it in a sec, but at the end of that miracle, it says that he thus revealed his glory. Jesus showed himself to be the glorified son of God. He showed himself to be God himself, full of beauty and, and magnificence. And he showed himself by changing water into wine. Now, first of all, I, I don't even know what you do with that, but does that, does that already just sort of surprise you, especially those of you who grew up in a super religious background? He thus revealed his glory by changing water into wine. And the point of that story is we were talking about it and laughing about it was, and we had an author who was kind of highlighting it for us in a book we were reading. It was really funny that the author said, wait a minute, the text goes to say that there were jars of water, 20 to 30 gallons that hold, held 20 to 30 gallons, and they were filled to the brim. First of all, that language, why would the author need to put that language in there? Because there was this focus on, overwhelming, full, overflowing, right? They were full to the brim. So 30, they held 20, 30 gallons. So 30 gallons full to the brim. And there were, how many did it say in there? I think there were, um, there were six of those jars, six times 30 gallons. That's 180 gallons. That's 180 gallons of wine for a party. These are really small towns, by the way. So they have a hundred. And, and so uh, when you translate that into 750 milliliter bottles of wine, like you're getting done at your... 908 bottles of wine. And he thus revealed his glory. Jesus goes, I'm, I'm gonna now show you guys what I'm about. And I'm about abundance, bottles full of it. I'm about love and celebration. It was a marriage ceremony where the community leaned into the best of our experiences. And Jesus shows up and brings 908 bottles of wine to the party. I know you're already like going, oh, well, it's grape juice and yikes, alcohol. I know. Talk to your kids afterward. Everything in moderation, except the love and the grace of God poured out in abundance. I love that picture. So let's look at that, this idea of abundance. Let's look at both words briefly. First, he says grace. 
be yours in abundance. Grace be yours in abundance. Grace equals God's full acceptance, full forgiveness. And then there's this also this, this part of it that means in delight. God's full acceptance and delight in abundance. He said, may God's full acceptance of you and delight in you be abundant in your life. May you feel it and know it. This, you know, grace means unmerited favor. One of the best ways I can think about saying what this is, is that he sees you and he treats you the way it is you were made. He sees the you you were made to be. He sees the real you that's in there beneath the hurt, beneath the sin, beneath the mistakes, beneath the the shell beneath the protection. Like he sees the you that he had in his mind from before time began. That's the you that he sees and that he loves and that he embraces. And he's delighted in that real you, the you you're going to be fully one day, but aren't now quite there as we're experiencing transformation, but not fully yet. That's the favor and the delight that he has on us. I can't think of a better illustration in the scriptures than, than the author of this book. Now think about it. The author of this book out of his own story, this is Peter. This is 60, let's say it's 62 uh, AD that he's writing this, okay? In the common era, 62 CE. And he writes this. Now, he probably met Jesus maybe 30 years before that. And when he met Jesus, he didn't know anything about walking with God. But in 30 years now, he goes, listen, I want to tell you something. It's almost like, it's like, if I can tell you what I know to be true, may grace and peace keep multiplying for you in abundance. He understands this grace because he's encountered Jesus over all these years. But think about it. Do you know that Jesus, Peter's first encounter with Jesus, you got to go look it up. It's in John chapter one. And in John one, so Andrew is following, his brother is following John the Baptist. They see Jesus John the Baptist goes, um, that's the son of God, the, the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. And all of John's disciples then went and followed Jesus and hung out with him. And they spent this afternoon with him. And at the end, Andrew's like, that's the Messiah. And he goes and he finds Peter and he goes, I know you haven't been fully with me with John the Baptist or whatever, but I found the Christ, the one who will save us, the one from God. And he comes and he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter, doesn't know him, hasn't spoken to him. They don't have no history together. It's the very first encounter. And remember what happens? Jesus looks at Peter and goes, you will now be called the rock. Jesus, I'm gonna try to do this without emotion. Jesus spoke in to his true identity of who he would be for God one day in his fullness. And if you know Peter's story, church, he famously, infamously denied Christ three times, even when Christ was at his greatest place of suffering. Peter was somebody who kept making mistakes. Peter was somebody who kept popping off. Peter was somebody who kept not understanding fully to the point where he finally just said, I don't know him. I don't want to be associated with Jesus. He even rejected Christ at the end. And Peter, Jesus, the very first time he met Peter goes, yeah, but you're the rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And it's going to be so powerful that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's who you really are, Peter. That's what you really have in your heart. That's who you really can be for me. And I see it from the very first moment. Friends, come on now, preach. Listen, church, where's Danielle? 
Give me some preach. Give me some love. When Jesus encounters you, he looks right into your very soul. He looks right past all the sin that has marred you. He looks right past all the wounds that have got you all tied up in knots. He looks past all of the ways in which you failed him. He looks past all of the years that you have neglected him. He looks even past you denying him and running from him. And he goes, I know who you really are. And he has a name for you, a special nickname for you that speaks right into the character, the epic character, the noble character that he made you to be. And he speaks right into it. In fact, there's this picture of heaven in Revelation where it said that Jesus is saying, if you remain faithful, you're going to receive a rock and on it will be a new name that no one knows but him. He's got a name for who you really are and it's between you and him. It's your identity of your true self. Okay, I'm taking too much time because this is so good. Grace be yours in abundance. He sees who you really are and who you will be. That will preach all day long. And maybe you ask him, what, you, what, what name does he have for you? What name? Because you've got names of, I'm a flake. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm, you've got names like that for yourself. But his names are the noble one, the man of character, the spiritual leader the, the lover of souls, the compassionate heart. He has words for you that speak into the deepest places of what he has made you to be. That's grace that he can see that through all the other junk. May that be yours in abundance. And then in peace, may you have peace in abundance as well. Peace in abundance. When we see the peace word in scripture, peace is always about Internal peace, peace inside, I have peace. Oh, I'm at rest. And peace with God. Now there's nothing between me and God. It always means both things, this word peace. In Hebrew, the word shalom. And so in fact, he says, may that peace, may that rest come to you inside because you're right with God. May you feel that rest because there's nothing keeping you between you and the Father anymore. And man, didn't Peter experience that? Because after he had denied Christ, after the resurrection, Jesus came to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Go, you got to go read that text in John 21. Do you love me? Three times he asked him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then he's like, then feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, be a leader in my church. He restored him and set him up to be a leader of God's people. And now 30 years later, we've got Peter going. I'm leading, I'm living out of being the rock. Peace inside because we're right with God. So you see the takeaway? that he's generous and he's abundant and he's multiplying everything we need, all the grace, right? All the favor and delight of God and all the peace, all the rest and being right with God that we need to face any suffering, their persecution, your suffering, little or big. God will come and meet us in abundance. We need grace and we need peace. And he brings it, bottles of it, he brings it. The Bible's so confident of this. Do you know, maybe it sounded familiar to you, grace and peace be yours. Do you know that Peter and the apostle Paul in every one of their letters give some version of this blessing. It's a thing that the church began to know. They go, that's what we know we need. Listen, I'm gonna belabor this. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read them. 
You're going to listen. Let the word of God wash over you as we transition toward worship. But listen to this. Listen to these words from the book of Romans. Grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then then you're going to hear this from Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. They all say this grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians, grace and peace to you. Second Thessalonians, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus. First Timothy, grace and mercy and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Second Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're like, I get the point. No, you don't. I'm gonna keep reading. Philemon, did we do Titus? Grace and peace from God, the Father and Jesus, our Savior. Philemon, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Second Peter, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Second John, grace and mercy and peace from God, the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. The book of Jude, mercy Peace and love be yours in abundance. And the book of Revelation, grace and peace to you who is and who was and who is to come. Come on. He comes and he multiplies. Grace upon grace and peace upon peace. Even in the midst of our struggles, he gives it to us. So then right now, friends, we reject the lie that he's not going to be enough for whatever it is that we are facing. That's the truth. You will have all the grace you need, the favor, the forgiveness. You'll have all the peace you need because you're right with God and he'll do it with such abundance. And that's why there's these other verses in scripture that say things like, and so my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory that are in Christ Jesus. So what are you going through, church? What did you come with today to worship? Wishing that God would meet you in it. What are you bringing to it today? I just have one thing to say to you. You take that thing, and this is God's message to you. May grace and peace keep multiplying in abundance. That's the character of our God. We stand with Peter as the beloved. Let's worship in response to God's goodness.